Well, please can you take up your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. We're on page 1053, 1053 of the Pew Bibles. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Do keep that open in front of you. uh, And let's pray together as we come to consider God's word to us this morning. Almighty God, we pray that you would help us to learn from you today. From this, your word, help us to have ears to hear. Help us to understand what you are saying and how it should impact us, how we should respond, O Lord. May you be at work by your Holy Spirit and through your word amongst us all now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So today's passage, it's the opening of the Gospel of John. Now, a gospel is a bit like a, a biography of Jesus of Nazareth. And as you read a gospel, say you're reading the gospel of Luke, you're slowly building up a picture of who Jesus is. So it's a bit like one of those identikits that the police use. Uh, If they want to identify someone, what are their eyes like, their mouth, their hair, you build up a picture to see what they're like so you can identify them. But, But of course, with the gospels, it's not a physical picture, a picture of his physical appearance. It's deeper than that. Who is this Jesus? What's he like? What's his very nature? 
John's gospel is, is like the other gospels in this respect. The identity of Jesus is absolutely key. He wants us to know this matters who this Jesus is. But John is also a little bit different to the other gospels because John starts by revealing the whole picture at once. He's not going to build it up bit by bit. He's going to tell you right from the start the completed identikit. We're covering the first 18 verses today, a kind of introduction or prologue. And Jesus, well, he's shown from the start to be who he is. John reveals the answer at the beginning of the book. Jesus of Nazareth is God. It's not like a mystery novel where you've got to wait to the last page to get to the answer. No, it's right there on the surface. It's it's more like one of those academic papers. You know where the academic paper begins with a summary paragraph saying this is is what we're saying. And then the rest of the paper explains how they got there. John's a bit more like that. This is what we're saying. And you need to understand this. But it's not purely academic, is it? John isn't saying this is just an interesting bit of information, another bit of head knowledge. The writer wants you to know who Jesus is because your life depends upon it. Listen to this sentence from the end of John's Gospel. And here John tells you why he wrote this book. Have a listen. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that, here's the reason he's written them, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life in his name, dependent upon believing the truth about Jesus. The book is about life. It's about Jesus. Those themes of life and the identity of Jesus, they come up, well, in the introduction and throughout the book too. Believing who Jesus is, knowing about his relationship with the Father, that's key, that matters. And it brings about life. So I want you this morning to just spend a few moments thinking about this revelation of the identity of Jesus. Just in these 18 verses, John wants us to know it right at the start. He wants you to read the rest of the gospel thinking, I know who he is. This Jesus of Nazareth, this rabbi, this prophet, he is. Well, well, who is he? Take a look at verse 1. Which other book of the Bible does this sound like? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. It's Genesis stuff, isn't it? It's right back to the beginning, literally. In the beginning. John wants us to think before time, before ages, in eternity past was the Word. Well, that's a bit of a strange title, isn't it? Why is John calling Jesus the word? Well, a word, if I speak a word to you, it's a communication, isn't it? It takes something invisible. You can't see my thoughts, but I can express them with words. I can take the invisible and make it understandable. I can reveal, I can disclose it. That's what Jesus is. He's the ultimate self-revelation of God, the disclosure of God himself. Hebrews 1, we had this read earlier in the service. Long ago, 
Uh, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Jesus does not merely bring the word. He's not just speaking. He is the word. He perfectly expresses who God is. It goes on in Hebrews chapter 1 to say, He appointed him the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. So the exact imprint. Say I want to make an exact imprint of my hand. Okay? To do that, I'm gonna need a hand-sized object to imprint it upon. The word Jesus, he is God-sized because he perfectly represents God. He's the exact imprint of God. He himself is the message from God. He is the word, the ultimate self-expression. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. With God and was God, both are true. The Greek of the verse absolutely demands this, that the word is both with God and was God. Now, you may come across Jehovah's Witnesses who want to suggest that this verse means something different, as though Jesus is merely a God, as though he was the first one created by the ultimate God, Now, I guess we're going to struggle to discuss the Greek with them. Although the Greek does make it absolutely clear that the translation we have here is correct, it's going to be difficult for us to get down to that. So can I suggest what you do is you discuss verse 3 with them. You point them to verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's almost like a repetition in the second half of that verse. Wouldn't you think the first half of the verse was was enough? All things were made through him. But, But John really wants to drive the point home, doesn't he? So imagine a circle. You can even do this with your Jehovah's Witness friends. You can draw a circle, okay? And you say to them, okay, take that circle. Imagine it contains all things that have been made. All things that have been made, every single one of them. That's what the verse is saying, isn't it? Where is the word according to verse 3? He must be outside that circle because he made all things. And without him was not anything made that was made. No one can make themselves. Therefore, the word is uncreated. Uncreated, eternal. The word is God, just as verse 1 has already proclaimed. The rest of the Bible proclaims it too. Paul says in Colossians 1, For by him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the first bit of the identity of Jesus has been made clear absolutely by John. The word is God. And then in verse 14, we read something just as staggering. We read that the word became flesh. The eternal one, he's really pushed this home, isn't he? The word is God, yet he was born and he dwelt among us. The word is God and took on flesh. The humanity of Jesus, it's a 
A surprising thing, isn't it? It demonstrates the humility of God that he should be willing to come down to take on flesh. And he has to do that. That's essential for our salvation because only a true human can represent us. Only a true human can die in our place on the cross to actually represent us there. The humility of Jesus does not remove his deity. It doesn't make Jesus a lesser kind of God. Jesus is 100% human and 100% God and one person. He's still entirely God. Have a look at verse 14 with me. Look at the word that, that John chooses in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt can be translated tabernacled. And that makes us think tabernacle, that's Old Testament stuff, isn't it? Makes us think back to that tent where God met with his people. The way God lived among his people. It's saying the eternal creator word who was with God and is God dwelt among us just as God dwelt among his people in the Old Testament. It's another pointer that Jesus really is Emmanuel, God with us. The child Jesus, the man Jesus, he's 100% God in the flesh. This is staggering start, isn't it? Have you heard the expression, you start with an earthquake and build up to a climax? It's a kind of way of saying, here's a story with a huge, massive, exciting, dramatic start... You can't top that, can you? How can you build up something bigger than that? And it seems that that is what John is doing. He's revealing the identity kit straight away at the start. He's giving you the big picture right at the beginning. Jesus is the word become flesh. The eternal one through whom all things have been made. He is God. John Piper describes why John is doing this. He says, John the, the Apostle means for us to read this gospel worshipfully, humbly, submissively, awestruck that the man at the wedding and at the well and at the mountain is the creator of the universe. Do you see this? Do you feel this as you read John's gospel? We are meant to read through the Gospel of John and get to John 20 and with Thomas fall down before Jesus in an attitude of worship and say, my Lord and my God. We've been looking at the question, who is Jesus? The identikit revealed. Who is Jesus? And we've seen some mind-stretching answers. There's plenty more in the passage. But I think those answers drive us to a new question. Not who is Jesus, but who is God? Who is God? Now, if you hope for a simple answer to that question, your hopes have been dashed with the very first sentence, haven't they? He was with God and was God. Boom, my mind is boggled. It's outside of our normal categories, isn't it? We're beginning to have to think about the Trinity. A God who is truly one God, but in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not the same person, but each of them, equally God, equally infinite. Now that's been a stumbling point, a confusing thing for so many. 
or take the description of Jesus as the Son of God. In verse 14, the Son from the Father. John clearly wants us to to think about the relationship between the Son, who is God, and the Father, who is God. Now, many from a Muslim background will struggle with these kinds of things. The use of the word son, it's not meant to make us think of human sons. Some people jump to that. They they assume, oh, God must have had relations with Mary and made a son. No, no, but the son of God, it's clear from here, has no beginning. He was not made. He's different to that. So why use the title son? Why do that? It's very deliberate, isn't it? Well, it's partly to help us to understand The close relationship between the father and the son. The loving relationship there is. And it's partly there to make us understand that the two are of the same nature. The son is of the same nature as the father. My son is a human just like I am. But God's son is God just like God is. If you have the very nature of God, you are God. Now, the Jews understood this. The Jewish leaders, John chapter 5, verse 18, that was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They got it. Same nature, son, father, same nature, equal with God. So when we start to ask the question, as we should from this passage, who is God? John chapter 1 makes the answer a bit less comfortable than we might have hoped. But perhaps we shouldn't be surprised about that. Take a moment, try and think of something you completely understand. Understand how it works, what it does, what it's for, why it works. You understand all the mechanisms. So I I can't include my TV or my mobile phone or magnetism in that category because I don't really understand those things. But some of you might and you understand it. If you can think of something you completely understand, then you're wiser and greater than that thing. But we're talking about God, the eternal one, the uncreated, the infinite one. Do you expect to understand God? We shouldn't be surprised, should we, if he's more complex than we at first thought. We we can't even see him. Look, look at verse 18 with me. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. God's invisible. He's unknowable. The only way you can know God is if he reveals himself to you. And that's what Jesus does. For he is God. He's able to do that. Here's the thing. A gospel shows us about who Jesus is. But because Jesus is God, it also shows us who God is. Yeah, the answer is going to be complex. It's going to be beyond us. You're going to need to think about the Trinity, about the eternal Son. When you see Jesus, you see God. John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So do you want to know who Jesus is? Read John's Gospel. Read all the Gospels. Hear the truth. 
But do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus in the Gospels, in John's Gospel. Here's a quote to make you think, think from a guy called Michael Ramsey uh, a few decades back. In God, there is nothing unchristlike at all. It's interesting, isn't it? In God, there is nothing unchristlike at all. Jesus makes known God. This is also strange. Not everyone who physically saw Jesus knew he was God. Plenty of people physically saw him, but they didn't all realise who he was. They came to the wrong conclusion sometimes. Have a look at verses 10 and 11 with me. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's interesting, isn't it? As you read on in the Gospel of John, uh, the other Gospels as well, you'll find many opposed him and rejected him. They didn't realise who he is. So it's not an automatic thing. It's not you see Jesus coming down the street and you think, that's God. He doesn't have a halo. He doesn't shine in a different way. You can't tell just by looking at him physically. But some people did see his glory. Verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Some people did see, did understand, received a blessing that they didn't deserve. So what's going on? If Jesus came to make God known, why do some know and others don't? Some receive blessing from knowing him and others reject Jesus. It's because a spiritual seeing by faith is required. Without God helping us, we're spiritually blind. We cannot see the truth. We could see Jesus physically if we lived at that time, but without God's intervention, we cannot see the truth. Paul put it this way. In their case, the unbelievers, the God of this world, well, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There it is again, the very image of God. But the unbeliever cannot see it. They're spiritually blind. They can't grasp his glory. So take some of the miracles that Jesus did. You'd think, you see a miracle, you think, oh, that's the one then. But no, it doesn't quite work like that. People reacted quite differently. Uh, Someone in a sermon I read was pointing this out with John chapter 11. The raising of Lazarus. Can you imagine seeing that? A dead man coming out of the tomb. Life-changing, life-giving event, literally. He's dead for four days. Jesus commands him. He obeys. And then some people see and go away and tell others who plan to kill Jesus. Some believe, but they're given spiritual sight to see who Jesus is. That's why they believe in him. Jesus said to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, lots of people were there seeing what happened, but if they believed, they would see the glory of God. The glory is visible by faith. 
when God opens the eyes for us to see the truth. Again, Paul, in that passage we quoted earlier, goes on to say, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It only happens seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ when God says, let there be light in our hearts. When God does that work in our hearts so we can see, when we have spiritual eyes to see. So please, this morning, make sure you get this. Not everyone who physically saw Jesus had the eyes of faith to see his glory, to see who he is. It was those to whom God granted faith. It is not necessary for you to physically see Jesus to see his glory. It is necessary necessary to have spiritual sight to see his glory, but God is the one who does that. He can do it for you. You can see the glory of Christ. You can see that he is God, the uncreated one, by faith. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, including John chapter 1, including John chapter 20, where it writes, where John writes, look, I've written these down, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. What now? Perhaps you're thinking that there's something special about this Jesus. Perhaps you're seeing something of the enormity of what John is saying. Perhaps you want to see glory. To see the weight of the enormity of the goodness and greatness of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you want more of this grace and truth. Now, John wants that for you too. That's why he's written. He wants you to believe. That's why he's written. And he tells you how in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, he's talked about seeing glory. He's now saying you can be adopted into the family of God. You can have the right to be one of the children of God. You know, in the royal family. A precious child of the Almighty, loved forever. Always looked after, welcomed, a destiny to inherit with Christ. He's a son by nature. We can be children of God by grace, by adoption. Listen to this story from a a Christian who who adopted a a child and, and learned from that experience about his relationship with his heavenly father. Gerald Pennick said this, My wife and I waited 15 years for a child that never came by the natural way. We chose to adopt. I remember standing in front of the judge on our day of adoption. He pointed his finger and asked of me, is anyone coercing you to adopt this little boy? After we had assured him we were doing so out of love for our son, he made this statement. From today on, he is your son. He may disappoint you, even grieve you, but he is your son. Everything you own one day will be his, and he will bear your name. Then he looked to the clerk and gave this command. So order a change in this child's birth certificate, and may it reflect that these are the parents of the child. 
Gerald writes, it was then that I realised that my Heavenly Father loved me so much that without coercion, he loved me and gave his all to me. On that day, he changed my name and I gladly bear his name and his image. This is huge. Being adopted into the family of God. John wants you to desire this and he's saying you can have this by faith. It's for those who believe. He gives us some key extra information in the verse. It's those who believe in his name. In the Bible, when it talks about the name of someone, it's talking about all that they are. The name of God sums up who he is. Believing in his name, in the name of Jesus, it's about not just a good man, not just a prophet, a teacher, but king of kings, lord of the universe, eternal God. You cannot be a a child of God without believing who Jesus is. But if you do believe that, if you believe that Jesus is God, well, that's going to make a difference. Do you worship Jesus? Some people worship only the Father. But it is right to worship Jesus Christ. He is God. In fact, It is idolatry not to worship him because you'd be worshipping the wrong God. Do you fear Jesus? You can't tame him or domesticate him. He's not merely gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is God. Do you love what Jesus loves? He's the Almighty. He's the one who loves his people, the church. Do you care about the church? Do you love the church too? Do you care about what God cares about? Do you want to obey Jesus Christ? He is God. Think of the disciples. Before they'd realised he was God, they knew there was something godly about him. And, And when he said, follow me, they did. They left everything behind to follow him. They didn't give a list of the bits of their lives that they would sort of leave on one side. Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but not if you tell me to do that. They left everything behind and followed him. They didn't give him a timetable. You know, uh, Sundays I'll give to you, maybe a midweek meeting, but the rest of the time's my own. Now they gave up everything to follow him. And they didn't even know exactly who he is. But we have the privilege of knowing that he is God. There's more. Jesus tells us, John tells us, it's those who receive him who become children of God. Now, when you receive a dignitary, you treat them according to their position, as their position deserves. So say the king comes to visit you, you know, being polite and welcoming, that's not enough. Because, uh, because of who he is, because of his status and identity, there's, there's more. You know, the king turns up at the door and you say, nice to see you, Charlie. Look, the lawn needs mowing. Perhaps you can get on with that first. I've got a whole list of jobs. Grateful you've come. Uh, I'll make you a cuppa. Um, And you've been friendly and you've been polite, but you haven't received him as he is, as a king. To be adopted as a child of God, you must receive Jesus. Receive him as he is. The Lord of Lords, the eternal God. How are you treating Jesus in your life? 
Jesus Christ, the word become flesh, he calls you to repent, to believe, to follow him. This is serious. This is a challenging command. But what a gracious command. What a good command to to follow the one who is God, the right one. If you believe in his name, who he is, if you receive him, not just an interesting person, a teacher, but as God, then by grace you will become a child of God, more privileged than we can understand yet. And we will see his glory. And we'll be amazed afresh as we read about him again and again, and as we come before him to worship. That's what we're going to do now. Let's come and worship him. I'd like you to take up your your blue hymn books, please, the praise hymn books, and turn to number 310 in the praise hymn books. Jesus, the everlasting word, the Father's only Son, God manifestly seen and heard, and heaven's beloved one, worthy, O Lamb of God adored, that every tongue should call you Lord. We'll stand to sing number 310.